This is a MapleSoft Digital Education Podcast. One of the questions and maybe, well, that I, I wanted to ask you, and maybe I'll lead to it, that, you know, how do you envision the future? Like, how do you envision what it does an instructor? What is he doing? How is he filling his day five years from now or ten years from now? Um, but maybe coming to that question, what, I mean, if the, if the online course material is wonderful, so I can absorb that uh, wherever I want to absorb it, you know, whether it's the library, my dorm room, on my smartphone, I'm trying to understand, you know, at least the way I interpreted your statement, okay, I've got, now there's a lecture on the same material, and and the online material that had embedded questions and, and graphics, and, and is a richer environment, you know, than writing on a whiteboard. Why the majority of people would ever want to physically get up, spend the time to walk to a lecture, sit in that lecture? And, and maybe, you know, just a clarifying question, like, is that what you meant? Like, or did you see that if the online content was so good, you could use that lecture time in like small group discussion, like there's other face-to-face options. So I guess two parts to that answer. One is, why would students go to see you at the front of the classroom? Yeah, or the back of you. (laughs) In part because uh, you can bring insight that they believe they could not acquire by the online material, that you can read their body language and respond in real time to their questions as a human responding, not entering the questions because of the emotional connectivity between you and them. I think those are all pretty powerful reasons. For our online courses in the Faculty of Mathematics, our 50-minute lectures typically come down online to somewhere between 12 and 20 minutes. And they tend to be much denser. Um, And lots of the classroom management stuff and the writing on the blackboard and the transcription of what's on the blackboard all goes away and saves a lot of time. So students spend that 15 minutes in advance and do a once-over of the material and come to class, they can be cued intellectually ready in a way that they simply aren't if they just show up saying, okay, i got to transcribe this stuff. And so that means I do different things. I just want to make sure I understand. I just want to unpack. So you're saying that a, a typically 40, 50-minute lecture, if you take away the writing on the board and whatever, you have about 20 minutes of serious content. That, that's yes. what you meant? Um, and why, uh, like what's magic about the 40 or 50 or 20 minutes? Like, uh, like is that time period, yeah, where did that come from? So I'm assuming the 50 minutes or one hour came out of credit hour counts. Yeah, so uh, administration. Right. Like nothing to do with optimal time for learning. Right, uh, That's that would be my guess. Uh, I don't actually know, but that yeah. would be my guess. So, so potentially there's a room for improvement in, in how you would use that time. Like it might be smaller hunks or it might be larger hunks. Or it depends on how one takes a pedagogical approach to the classroom. If you get much shorter, you're going to lose an awful lot of, there's an awful lot of administrative overhead to scheduling yeah, and moving no, exactly. students from point A to point B to point C to point D to point E. Mm-hmm. But if I have that same 50 minutes and the students have already seen material and they don't have to transcribe. I can now say, okay, so 
we're taking a look at a particular proof technique. Here's a theorem. Prove it for me. Um, and give people five or ten minutes to work on it. Then I say, okay, try and convince your neighbor that you've done that uh, correctly. And then randomly select uh, a solution from the class and transcribe it literally onto a blackboard and say, as a class, let's take a look at this particular solution. What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? How can we make it better? Uh, was there a different approach that was missed? Was there particularly something particularly insightful or poorly chosen? What about the quality of writing? Because of the volume of marking, we often don't pay attention to the quality of student exposition. They certainly do that in English. We don't do that so much in STEM. No, if you get the answer at the end of the page, you're normally okay. Right, and yeah. but the root there uh, says a lot about who we are as learners and what insights we can bring to the problem. And when we're writing for another audience, we're training actuaries, for example, they need to learn how to write, to communicate to peer, professional peers and communicate to a, a lay audience. And that requires words. That's something we can talk about in a classroom. So let's go back to my broader question then. You know, predict the future. Uh, five or ten years from now when you know, online techniques are probably at their peak, we'll say. Uh, how is an instructor's life different? Like how would you, and this is just your pro projection, prediction. Um, how do you see a, an instructor spending his time? What is he doing? So predictions are dangerous, especially when they involve the future. Um, Most do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't have a good answer. Uh, I think we're much further away than 10 years from optimality. Okay, yeah, like uh, that time frame is flexible. Sense. Right. Uh, when I think of the printed word, we were a long time coming to efficient production of books. And I think we're going to be not a similarly long time, but we're going to be a long time too. Think of smartphones. They've only been 10 years. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but I think um, intellectual formation is a harder nut to solve than making a, a phone okay. call. Uh, and I think it's clear that not everyone is going to be doing the same thing. We will have people who lecture on blackboards now who will be lecturing on blackboards in 10 years. Some of them will be very good and some of them will not be very good. Um, I do think a generation coming into academia or into learning environments that's accustomed to the digital natives will mean a different learning experience. I, I, uh, I would fully agree. I think the expectation right. will be different. Um, so what does that look like? I must admit I'm very colored by Star Trek in the 1960s and the various reboots. I do think there are ways where we can use artificial intelligence to make reasonably good judgments about a particular learner and the kind of learning that best suits them, the progression, rates of progression, presentation of content. Mm -hmm. It's not clear to me that we know enough of the cognitive science because that's the other part that's got to move in sync, not just the technology, but our understanding at a neural level of how we learn. But when I think of the difference in reading about a giraffe 
and then watching a giraffe run across the veld on the National Geographic opening sequence, there's a huge difference in understanding there. It's and true, even though, again, on, because it's low-hanging fruit, STEM courses that use mathematics, a lot of that exists only in our brain. You know, it's a way of codifying it, but it is total, I mean, you can be sitting on a beach doing mathematics right. as well as you can do it anywhere else. So I, um, I guess where I was going was that I, I do think that digital assets will give us a kind of learning potential that is mostly in our imaginations right now. And I think uh, simply being able to, um, where I am in the situation that suits me in my life circumstances, be able to take a focused 20 minutes and learn something about linear algebra and learn it by doing, mm -hmm. uh, and then bring it to whatever learning environment where that's important to me. That could be a classroom where I'm getting a degree credential. It could be that I'm a professional mathematician and I need to learn a model uh, to more appropriately value um, an investment portfolio or a suite of insurance uh, products. It, could be that I'm doing it out of interest. You see, I, I definitely see it differently. Um, I see that for the last, we'll say, a couple hundred years, we had a very loose feedback loop on our educational processes. It was there, but it was very long-term and loose. And therefore, people could hide in their, everyone felt their teaching content and method was good. And it was hard to disprove, you know, right. uh, even hard to, to compare course A to course B, book A to book B, um, even school to school. One aspect of, in my opinion, you know, that digital platforms will provide is a great deal of measurement at, at a, uh, at a um, like a judgment rate better than we've ever had before. So, so both tighter feedback loops, a shorter time period, but also more data you know, of you know, what is comprehended and, and whether it's liked and, and, from, and it can be shared very easily. Uh, and I do agree that like, um, when we introduce uh, AI techniques where different students can have different paths, that's another method of actually improving the educational process where the, the whole concept that you could take a different path than I could take and we both begin in the same first year classroom. All of these things I just see five to ten years from now will make education truly better uh, than it has been in the last hundred years and I see it being data driven. So I agree that we can make it truly better but I would put a lot of provisos around that as someone whose life is in the classroom. Uh, one of it is simply um, how fast can we learn and retain? So the fact that uh, an algorithm can deduce that this is the best path for me or presentation of content doesn't mean that I can move at the speed of the algorithm. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I would suggest that most of us can't. We don't actually have the intellectual stamina yeah, to stay focused for eight or 12 hours a day. Um, but in terms of moving educational systems, they're very slow to move. 
They are inherently conservative. That's why universities exist in large part, is to conserve the knowledge of generations past. So we're dealing with things that are inherently conservative. We're dealing with things that are inherently bureaucratic, that involve thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of students, um, and where there are huge vested interests in keeping the system as it is. And that, I think, takes a long time to change. And the simple presence of technology, even if it is demonstrably superior in some environments than what we do now, is not going to be enough to move the system. Well, I guess we will just have to disagree. Um, first off, I will give you that the time scale is flexible. So whether it's five years or 50 years or you know, 500 years, uh, but technology unto itself, I think, has shown that it can provide change. Uh, and I, I think, you know, internet and smartphones, uh, like lots of ways of demonstrating that it provides a real change. Uh, and I've, and I guess I'm a believer in in data too. You know, that with uh, many examples of machine learning and AI today, I, they're they're better solutions because they're based on that amount of data. And I think education is at a very forefront, just the very start of, of being driven by that. Anyways, I probably have taken enough of your time. Um, thank you very much for, for joining a, us a today. A pleasure. Um, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thanks very okay. much.